thank you guys. A lot of work goes into a day like this. Thanks to Trey and for his team for setting up. We had just scores of people out here last Sunday, uh, Sunday night, helping us set this room up and to tear down uh, parts of the worship center to get it ready for the work being done. And I just thank you, church, for your heart to serve and just for the, the fellowship we have. Uh, fellowship really is is more than pizza, it's more than ice cream, uh, more than eating. Uh, it's about being together around a common cause, something that's important. And, and God has dropped something that matters to heaven right here in our midst. And I'm thankful to be a co-laborer with you at Poplar Springs. I want to recognize these folks over here who are sitting in Joel's classroom. Uh, they are the hecklers for today. Um, <laughs> you remember the Muppets, that old show, The Muppets, those old men that used to sit up in the... Uh, balcony and just criticize everything there they are okay so anyway uh, I'm just teasing glad everybody's making room today if you're a guest today thank you for coming we're glad you're here if I haven't had the chance to meet you I'd love to if you think about it fill out a connect card for us and you can drop that in the offering basket I think we have an offering basket at each corner in here today and so just make use of those uh, also, guests, we have a, a gift for you somewhere, yeah, over here, uh, and also on the new here tent. Before you leave today, we'd love you to grab a gift, no strings attached, uh, just a gift from our heart uh, to yours, okay? And so we thank you for being here. We're going to look today at Daniel chapter 3 together. Um, we've been in the book of Daniel studying the life of Daniel. This study is not going to go through the entire book of Daniel, but we're going to examine the first half of the book, uh, if you will, and uh, look at the life of Daniel. The title of our series has been On the Lord's Side. Uh, Daniel was an extremely faithful man. He uh, started out as a young boy, actually, 15 years old probably. He was taken captive from his homeland of Judah, God's people, where things, uh, where he grew up, where it was home, and he was carried off 900 miles to a very foreign and different land uh, under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar and false gods, and it was just a a strange uh, and awful place, but he found himself there as a young man, and immediately the, the people in power began to undertake a reconditioning of them to help them to learn their ways and their magic arts and uh, all the darkness of that land, all their literature, all their uh, food and diet and, and all of this, and Daniel found himself trying to be faithful to God even in the midst of all that. And so along the way, not only are we being shown the faithfulness of Daniel and his companions, uh, who we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but really the, 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 the primary theme of Daniel is the dominance of God. That of, of over all things, God presides. Uh, that Whatever powers, whatever kingdoms, whatever leaders there are, there is one who supersedes them all, and that is the Lord God. And we've seen that in a few ways, haven't we? We saw it first uh, with the matter of a diet. When Daniel said, no, I'm not going to eat that food. I'm not going to defile myself by eating uh, this food that may have been sacrificed to false gods, to idols. He says, I'm not going to do that. He said, you just test the Lord in this. You test us. Give us uh, uh, the diet that we choose for several days and see if we are as fit as the other young men, and they tried it, and they were more fit. The Bible says fatter in flesh, right? 
And you know, I took a great comfort in that. They were fatter in flesh than all the others. They were healthier and stronger than all the other ones. And the next test was, was last week. We looked together last week. The king had had what? A dream. Nebuchadnezzar had had an awful dream. Nobody could, could give Nebuchadnezzar the dream. And in fact, it was so terrible that Nebuchadnezzar said, I want to be so sure of the interpretation of this dream that I'm going to insist that whoever does this for me, tell me the dream itself. And all the people of the land said, a king, nobody can do that. In fact, nobody has even thought to ask anybody to do that ever because it cannot be done. It does not belong to the realm of flesh. It belongs to the, the gods of heaven. And then all of a sudden, Daniel says, I can interpret the dream. And he goes to the Lord and he prays for mercy and God gives him mercy and he interprets the dream. And again, the Lord's dominance is established even further. First, a diet. Sure, okay, God made you fatter in flesh. He made you better than the others. Second, a dream. But does that tell the whole story? And so today, uh, God's dominance is uh, tested and proved uh, even further in Daniel chapter 3 with a story that will be very familiar to you. This is about 12 years after the last story, give or take. We don't know for sure, but probably uh, 12 years or more since what happened last. And so Daniel is not quite the young man that he was. He's older and much more seasoned in his new life. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also. In fact, this, this text does not even mention Daniel. It's about the other three Hebrews. We went to the mountains yesterday. It was a beautiful day. The first day of fall has not disappointed, has it? I mean, it was, it was awesome yesterday. And we went up to Black Rock Mountain. Anybody ever been there? Up above Clayton. I mean, it was beautiful. Um, and um, on that trip, we stopped at Racetrack. And I wish I could tell you that it was at, at the mountain that my life was changed, but it was at Racetrack. I had a life-changing experience. <laughs> I encountered something. <clears throat> Uh, these Oreos called the most stuffed Oreos. Now, you've seen Oreos probably for a long time. I don't even like Oreos, but I like these. They, um, <laughs> Oreos are regular. They have a little bit of cream in the middle. That's it. Then they came out with what? Double stuffed Oreos. That's better, right? So you get the double stuff. Then they came out. Who knows what was next? M yeah. Mega. mega stuff, right? The next one was mega stuffed. Oreos, and I like them, but at racetrack, the gas station, I found the most stuffed Oreos. <laughs> They're so big, there's only one in this whole pack. Uh, not really, there's four, but I'm going to show them to you. Let me open them. You won't believe it. <laughs> I mean, you, I don't even know how they do this at the factory. Look at that. Can you see from way back there? I'm going to lay these up here. You leave them alone, okay? Uh, <laughs> The most stuffed Oreos. Uh, while I was, I went to Walmart later to see if you could find them in a bigger package. You cannot, uh, but they do have th something at Walmart called thin stuffed Oreos. That's an abomination to God. I mean, <laughs> who would have that on the first day of fall, right? I mean, it's just, it's awful. God is putting on full display through the book of Daniel that, listen, there may be those in your life, there may be hardships in your life, there may be people in your life. There may be injustice in, in your life. In the book of Daniel, there may be that mighty 
king, the emperor Nebuchadnezzar. We, I cannot overstate the power and the realm that this man had. And it showed in every way. There may be those in your life who are double stuff, who are whatever, mega stuff, but there's only one who's got the most stuff, right? The Lord is showing, listen, I am on the throne. Listen, there's no one who overrules me. There's no one who speaks. And in fact, when I speak, there's no one who can turn it back. God is showing us this this morning. I hope this means something to you, not only as a matter of history, but as a matter of your own life. So let's read this this morning. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I'll read quickly, and I'll try to move quickly if we can. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold. This was a golden image. You've got to think that last, the last episode in this book was about a statue, right? An image. And he was the head of gold in that dream, if you remember. He was the head of gold, but the rest of the kingdoms represented were made of brittle material. I, Nebuchadnezzar did not get the point, did he? It's like he said, I'm going to make me all gold now, right? God might say that I'm just the head of gold, that, that this kingdom's going to shatter apart one day, but I'm going to make an image of all gold whose height was 60 cubits, that's 90 feet, and its breadth, 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Count how many times this is repeated throughout this scripture. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He set it up, buddy. It was of gold. It was 90 feet tall. It was out there on the plains of Dura. You, can't, you could not miss this thing. It was all him. And what a mighty man he must have been. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald, that would have been an announcer, the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar, what, has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery, furnace therefore as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn pipe lyre trigon harp bagpipe and every kind of music all the peoples nations languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that the, that king nebuchadnezzar had set up therefore at that time certain chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the jews They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the hornpipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's stop for just a moment. You remember in the, the, the past, uh, our pastimes together, these, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were appointed over all of these here who are now complaining to Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody could interpret the dream. None of these guys. Daniel came in and put them to shame 
And Daniel said, let's promote Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be over these other guys. They were humiliated, and now it's like they're taking their revenge. You appointed, remember, king, you appointed them over us, over the province of Babylon. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, he gets these, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship <clears throat> the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? A dangerous question to ask, right? Who, who, like there is, who exists? Uh, the, within the realm of possibility, who is there who can deliver you out of my hand? I, my hand is a mighty hand. <clears throat> I'm lost again, sorry. But if you do not worship, yeah, okay. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, they said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. I love that. Why do they have no need to answer him? Because God's going to answer. One way or the other, God is going to answer. We have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Listen to verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. They didn't wait to get ready. They just snatched them up. Whatever they were wearing, they bound them up in that, and they were firmly bound. All these clothes wrapped around them. They were tied up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. And he declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace, he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the, listen to this new title he gives to the Lord, servants of the Most High God, that's what we've been talking about, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together 
and saw that the fire had not, had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. We said that last week, remember? I got in trouble by Kathy Kemp this week for saying that that sounds like working with her. You remember that? <laughs> I called the church one day and uh, she answered the phone. She said, King Nebuchadnezzar. And so I knew I, <laughs> I, knew I was in trouble then. <laughs> Anybody who doesn't work th worship this God shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. I hope that sinks into you just for a minute this morning. Uh, all that we've read, so many powerful things. Who is able to deliver from my hand? Oh, King, we have no need to answer you uh, in this. So there's no need. They answer to God alone. And the words of this evil king himself, there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. There is none like Jehovah, if you will. There is none like our God. And he shows us this in a few ways this morning. Let's look at this together. Just uh, four quick points, and I will try to be as fast as I can, okay? He shows us this um, in four situations through this episode. The first is this. There's an impossible situation. Last, last week was an unsolvable dream. This week there's an imp another impossible situation there would have been immense pressure to bow down to this idol no matter who you are for the best of people the pressure would have been immense uh, to, to just give in to just do this thing to get it over with it's described graphically here uh, there was an inner impulse right it, this thing was made out of gold it was set on the plains of dura how tall was it 90 feet tall if you take the height of our the tippy top of our steeple and double that, that's the size of this uh, image of this mighty King Nebuchadnezzar. There would have been everybody on the plains of Dura that day, their eyes would have wanted to look at this thing. They would have been impressed by it. They would have wanted to go to it. And hey, why not bow down to it? This shows immense power and authority and political might. Yeah, sure, we better bow down to this thing. Everybody else did bow down to it. The pressure would have been immense. Somebody left a pumpkin roll in the kitchen this week. Let me tell you, it's all I could think about all, all day Monday, right? <laughs> I thought, no, Matthew, do not go eat that pumpkin roll. Do you know what a pumpkin roll is? It's like pumpkin magic wrapped around cream cheese. It's, it's, it's delicious. I sat in my office and I thought, do not think about the pumpkin roll. <laughs> I was on the, phone, on the phone talking to people about their surgeries, I found myself not, not even hearing a word they said because the pumpkin roll was calling me in here. I mean, I, wanted to, I thought, don't even go in there. Do not turn aside to the pumpkin roll. Uh, let me tell you, the pumpkin roll was gone by the end of the day, right? And it wasn't Kathy. It was me. Uh, I, I came in here and ate the pumpkin roll. Well, the, the pressure 
on these guys would have risen up from within them. Sure, we, 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 this is to be worshipped. Sure, this is impressive. There was a social influence. The crowd, this is repeated so much throughout this text because the crowd, the size of the crowd, we, the Bible wants us to know that, and it wants us to know the composition of the crowd. It was a lot of folks, and they had come from everywhere in the kingdom, and they were the most powerful. The ranks are listed all the way down to uh, what you might call the assistant dog catcher. I mean, everybody is there. There would have been immense pressure to bow down. Everyone is doing it. Everyone is saying it. Everyone says this is the right thing to do. Who are we to say otherwise? We're outsiders. We're foreigners. There was the official endorsement. These instruments are repeated over and over just to show the pomp and circumstance and the display of political might that was there. I mean, when those things blasted, did you hear the list of them? When those things blasted, don't you know it was probably enough to shake you down anyway in fear, to knock you down with just the force of that. Sure, we should bow down. The official endorsement was there, and then the stated consequences. I mean, they said, listen, if you don't do it, what's going to happen? That furnace over there, the furnace that was used on site here to, to manufacture this gold, to produce this idol, we've got it still going, and it's for you if you don't bow down. What a pressure there was in this moment. And I want you to know this morning that being faithful to God may very well mean that you find yourself in situations where it seems like the weight of the entire world is against you, that everyone is saying something other than what God has said, that everyone is affirming something as true that God has said is false. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and if you take this thing seriously at all, you're going to find yourself in situations just like this. There may be a lot of other people. There may, may be a lot of other voices. They may be louder, and they may be many. And they may have all the instruments of societal and political power, but friends, our God tells the truth. He can be trusted. He is a truth-telling God. This was an impossible situation, but it was also an astonishing choice. Look at verses 14 through 15. Something here that I notice, it doesn't jump out from the text, and I may be going out on a little bit of a limb here, but I see a, a personal relationship between these Hebrew children and Nebuchadnezzar. These guys knew each other, for one. We know that. We know they knew each other. <clears throat> we know he had promoted them and been impressed with them in the past. We know he saw them fitter than everybody else and said, I want these guys in my special court. I want them around me. I want them elevated above all the other <clears throat> of my counselors. So Nebuchadnezzar knew these three, and the way he addresses them is interesting. Is it true? Could this be true? Would you do this to me? I mean, you guys, we know each other, and I've honored you, and I've elevated you, and I've uh, accommodated you. I've given you a great house, and I've put you up in nice places, and all these other people here, I made you their boss. I mean, you, you're doing this, Shadrach? Oh, the word oh, oh you, is it true? Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods? I thought you, I thought you respected me. You're not worshiping the golden image that I have set up? He, he does something remarkable in verse 15. He gives them a second chance. It's another reason I think that, that there was something personal here. 
Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound, he gives them a second chance. I'm going to try it again. We're going to play the music again. And you bow down and worship, the God, worship God. They said, no, we won't. Verse 19, I think, is, is instrumental here. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And what happened? The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He looked at them one way before, maybe with fondness, maybe with familiarity, a lot of history, a lot of water under the bridge. And then after they said no, his face, the expression of his face was changed against them. The loss here was not only of, of the crowds and of the power and the pressure. The loss here was a personal loss. They were breaking something. They were burning a bridge, possibly between them and someone they even cared about. Or someone that part of their heart honored. At least we know he had honored them in some ways. It would have been so easy for them to say, hey, you know, we don't want to break this relationship. This is an inroad for the gospel. Let's just bow down to it today. Let's just get it done. And uh, surely God wants us to live. If we don't live, if we don't live, how can we be his mouthpiece here in Babylon again? I mean, if we don't go along with the world and in this small little matter, can't we just acquiesce, church? Couldn't we just say yes to what they're saying yes to? After all, it's a noble reason to preserve our relationship for things that God really, in the end, these are the things he wants. He wants us to love them and to know them, to be able to speak into their lives. How could we do that if we draw a line here? where he's drawn a line. There's so much to lose here. And, and in this case, they had to stand up and they had to lose. They had to lose something very personal to them, a relationship, a friendship. My little brother Blaine, he was seven years younger than me, and so he was uh, kind of like a baby brother to me. When he was born, he was kind of one of those unexpected ones that came along. And... Um, when he was born, we all just like marveled at him because he was different than the rest of us. And um, he would say, he'd get in trouble a lot for saying no. He wouldn't just say no, he would shout the word no. Blaine, go pick up your, your trains, right? He would scream it, no, right? My parents would get so mad they didn't know what to do. They tried to punish him. They tried to take things away from him. It didn't matter. Finally, whatever it was they found to threaten him with, it worked because the next time they asked him to do something, he screamed in the meanest voice you could imagine and said, yes, right? He, I mean, he changed his answer, and that's all they had to do here is just to change their answer for just a half a second, just bend the knee for a moment. And they said no, and it cost them dearly. Faithfulness to God, friends, is not an impersonal decision. It's not made in the abstract places. This can be a very personal thing. And there may be those who the expression of their face changes against you when you decide that you're going to walk with God. Or even if you've been walking with God, when you finally say, listen, uh, my heart has got to cling to the Lord in this matter. I love you. I want the best for you. But I've got to be a truth teller and I've got to honor God here. Don't be surprised, young people, old people, do not be surprised if the countenance, if the expression of people's faces changes against you, even, dear ones, 
that you have loved. Are you ready for that? Is it really true in our hearts that God is better? Is it really true that he holds a superior place within us? You're going to be tested if you're going to walk in faithfulness with God. John 15, Jesus reminded us of this. He said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Question, if the world loves us as its own, then who are we of? The world. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They made an astonishing choice here. But also, there was an uncertain rescue. An uncertain rescue. I love the assertion that these guys make. They say, we're not even going to answer you in this because our God is able to save. He's able to deliver us. And in fact, he will do it. But if he doesn't do it, we still will not bow down. These guys were not some type of superhuman uh, future seers that knew exactly what the outcome of this would be. They answered with faithfulness to God when they did not know what would happen in that fire. They did not know. It wasn't like they did it because they were going to get a treat at the end. They did it not knowing what God might do. I was at the grocery store the other day, and this kid was having a total fit. I mean, just losing it on his mom, his poor mom. I felt so bad for her. Uh, he wanted a little stuffed animal out of the, the flower section, and she said no to it. And he was losing his mind, and everybody around was, was watching this. And I overheard part of the conversation. She said, you know, if you, just, you know, if you just stop being this way, I'll take you to get ice cream later on. I thought, man, I wish my mom had learned from her, you know. I mean, <laughs> you may know that too. My mom didn't have that pattern, right? It was like, if you don't shut up, right, I'm getting your dad's belt when I get home. And it was even worse if she got her own belt. You know why? It was skinnier, right? It, it hurt worse. I mean, it, was, it was a big deal. I mean, you, you, your parents... Um, would punish, there was a time when they would punish you. In this case here, it's not like these guys are obeying God because they know that God's got a treat in store for them at the end. Guys, if you just obey me, I promise that this exact outcome that you want to happen is exactly what I'm going to do. I'm God, I sit on my throne, and if you just obey me, you're going to get your treat at the end of the day. They answered in faithfulness when they had no clue what God might do but they trusted him anyway Isaiah 55 says this for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts sometimes there are some seemingly crummy outcomes in our lives that are nonetheless presided over by almighty God in some way some thought some wisdom of his was still in charge and still dictated and still permitted this outcome somebody goes to the hospital and the, the doctor says listen this this is said and done the the, the thing is over with this uh, you have this many days left to live we say god how could you do that to me how could you do that to my loved one 
you get the divorce papers in the mail or, or you're challenged at your job where you have to draw a line of living faithfully with uprightness and integrity and you know if you don't go that way with them that it's going to cost you and your family and many things that are very important to them. You say, God, I'm going to follow you in this. And guess what? You lose your job. God, is that, was that right? I mean, it, it, God is in control no matter what. And listen, his ways are higher than our ways. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, For the foolishness of God, the foolishness of God, is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. God is in control. And sometimes walking with him in faithfulness means turning it over to him and saying, God, whatever you choose. Lord, whatever your will is, whatever the outcome. His worthiness to be trusted does not depend on the outcome of our situation. It doesn't depend on the, 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 the quality of his wisdom. doesn't depend on our judgment as to how he applies it. We don't have to know the decisions of God to trust the character of God. Will you stand with the Lord? But lastly, the last situation here is an unquestionable victor. There's an unquestionable victor here. I love a few things about this section of Scripture. First, let me ask you this. Who is there to see this happen? The whole world is there. God in his sovereignty has gathered everyone, and not only everyone, but those in positions of power from all over the land. And so who's going to go back to all over the land and be able to tell what they saw here? Everyone. People of power. God has sovereignly orchestrated this. Uh, one of you guys in the worship team read Psalm 86 earlier. I wrote down what you, what you read. Psalm 86 says, All the nations you have made will come and worship you. Do you remember when they read that up there just a few minutes ago? All the nations you have made will come and worship you. In this moment, all the people from all the nation were there, and they got to see what God had done. You ever had a moment of just true road justice on the interstate or something? When someone's driving like a maniac, right, they cut you off, they pass you by, and all of a sudden you see come out from nowhere the blue lights, and you're like, yes, right? <laughs> I did this once with my sweet wife, Erica, when I was... Um, Many years ago, when I was still in law enforcement, I was working midnight shift. I've told this before, I know. But she was at her sister's house up in Cleveland, Tennessee, and called me on the mobile phone and said, hey, I'm heading home. It's probably 2 in the morning. I'm heading home from Kim's. I'm going back to our house in Ottawa and um, just wanted to chat for a minute. And so we talked on the phone. But I knew exactly the way she would come, and I was in my patrol car with the blue lights. And I rushed up there and got behind a, a billboard sign where she couldn't see me. And she came, <laughs> she came by, and um, I pulled out behind her, and she said, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness, I'm getting pulled over on the phone with me. I said, what did you do, you know? And uh, uh, she said, can you do anything? Can you call them? Can you help me? And I said, I, I can't do anything. I don't even know what's happening. And she said, I got to go. Here he comes. And so uh, <laughs> I walked up to the window, and poor little thing I feel bad about this truly uh, she handed me her license out and her hand was just shaking <laughs> and I gave her a big ticket uh, but um, no I didn't 
She told me later, she said, you know, the, the, the weird thing about that is I had just passed somebody on a du- double, uh, two-lane highway, not a double solid, but still a two-lane highway, and she had gone around and passed them, blew by them on the way home from her sister's, and then the blue lights came. You know that person was just like, hallelujah, right? And <laughs> she deserves that. <laughs> Can you imagine here? Who had gathered all these people there to witness this? Nebuchadnezzar did. I mean, he's going to flex his muscle. He's going to show his might. Look at my statue. Listen to my instruments as they blow. And you will bow down before the image of all gold that I have set up. I don't care if God has already told me, has already prophesied to me that I am merely the head of the statue, that it is ultimately going to fall before him, that he has set up a kingdom that will never pass away. I am going to make myself that kingdom, a statue of gold, come and worship. He brought them all there to see it, but God turned the tables, didn't he? Yeah, hey, while, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, while they're here, let me just do something awesome, right? He shows them, and don't you know that the Lord glorified, gloried in the fact that all these people were there to see it. That stands out to me about this verse. I love that. But I also love the complete power God shows over this situation. It's heated up seven times. It's uh, the, the guys who went and threw them into it, they died. Uh, I skipped that part by accident. But they died just throwing them in there. It was so hot. And Nebuchadnezzar looks in and sees them walking around free in there. And that would have been a miracle enough. That would have been a big, big enough of a deal. Uh, but they come out not even smelling of fire. Their clothes aren't sooty, right? They're, 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 they're not, they're, their hairs aren't smoking. I mean, it's like, were you even in a fire? When we were new married, we had a little hand-me-down grill, a propane grill. And uh, Erica tried to light it one day uh, by herself. The, the igniter did not work. You know how it goes. You get, the, you get the match, you get the lighter, and you hold it in there to try to get it going. She was out there, and I heard that noise. <laughs> Right? You ever heard that noise? <laughs> Erica came in, and her eyebrows and eyelashes and hairs were just curled up and black at the ends. Smoke was coming off of them. You ever smelled that smell? It's hideous. I never thought of her the same way again after that. It's, uh, <laughs> that's just from a propane grill, right? Just a, a little mishap in, in an instant. Yeah, there's signs. I mean, you could tell something had happened in this case that they were in this furnace heated seven times. This thing is a killer, even of those who drew near to it. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out of it with no evidence of fire. And the king, when he looked in, he saw a fourth man in there, which I just love dearly. He saw a fourth man in there. He said, something don't look right about him. It looks like a son of the gods. That's, that's his way of saying he looks divine. He looks heavenly. Was this the pre-incarnate Jesus? It may have been. Some people think so. Is there a reason not to think that? I don't, I don't really know. Is it the pre-incarnate Jesus himself standing with them? Was this an angel from heaven? I mean, it matters really very little. God sent his presence to be with them in that room, in that furnace, and he was with them. He was an unquestionable victor. There's no way to excuse it. There's no way to say, well, it wasn't that hot in the furnace that day. There's no way to say, well, uh, you know, some other mishap happened. There's no way to say any of it because 
it did not even touch them. I want you to know that God's rescue of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was his demonstration that there is no power over which he does not hold absolute veto. Let the king say so. God says otherwise, and that's the way it's going to be. All things answer to him. And I hope you know he still saves in just that way. He still saves completely. He still saves thoroughly. Here's what Colossians 2 has to say. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed, listen, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ, in him or in Christ. Put them to open shame. That's what happened on this day. God, uh, he did not pull any punches. And on the day that Christ gave his life and rose again from the dead, and on the day that he pursued your life unto salvation and took hold of you and moved in your heart and drew you to repentance. Listen, he put them to open shame, those who would accuse you. He put Satan and all his enemies to humiliation by triumphing over them through Jesus Christ. This is a God who saves completely. Hebrews 7 says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. I love that word. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Christ. God's able to save you today. If you need to be saved, if your sin is dark and deep and you think you're beyond God's reach, you are no further beyond his reach than these guys in the fiery furnace. Stop it. You are not beyond the strong arm of God. Why don't you let him save you today? Why don't you repent and turn from your sin today? If you are a believer in the room this morning, I want you to remember the lengths to which God went and the enemies over which he triumphed to call somebody like you his own. You are rotten and wicked and hopeless and dead in your trespasses and sins. There is no rescue for you. I'm included in that too. What did God have to do to triumph over them? He gave his own son to save you, and he can do it. Let us live that way. You don't walk out of the fiery furnace. You don't have that at your back. You don't feel the glow of that as you take the steps toward King Nebuchadnezzar and not let it change you. We must be altered by the rescue of God. It is not excusable for me and you, having been called his own through the blood of his dear son, to say, well, that's good enough, God. I'm just going to go on my way. Let's love him. Have you forgotten what a Savior our God is this morning? A God who saves like this is worthy of your life. Today, if you need to come to him for the first time, friend, we'll celebrate with you. You come up here, we'll talk to you. You don't have to know all the answers. Let us go with you. We'll help you. Repent of your sins. Turn to Jesus. Believe in him. Follow him. Today, if you belong to him, are you living for the king? Let's commit to do that together. Let me pray for us.
for just a moment. I want to give you a chance to respond. We're in a strange room this morning. But you can come up here and stand with me. I'll pray with you. You can just come up here and pray by yourself. I'll be happy to give you that privacy. You may need to make a decision to join the church this morning. We're not a perfect church, but God has you here for a reason. He's got a mission for us. We could use your help. You may need to go to the waters of baptism today. You may just need to make a change in your life. I don't know what that is. You do. It may be time to just say yes to God. Why don't you take the chance to do that today? It's weird. It's different. People are probably looking around. Who cares? This is you and Jesus. Why don't you come? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. Thank you for trusting it to us. We thank you that you're strong to save, Lord. Because we were mightily helpless. Father, we were lost beyond repair. We were broken and hell-bound. Father, we deserved your wrath and your judgment, Lord, and it was coming until Jesus stepped in. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for this testimony today of these three Hebrew children 600 years before Christ was on the earth. Lord, they lived in faithfulness. Help us to do the same. Help our church to do the same, God, we pray. Help us to be bold and courageous and fearless, Lord, to follow you, to honor you. And God, we praise you for letting us see what you will do. We thank you for this today in the name of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.